battle over yourself. And in one sense, I think we are our greatest enemy, me. And so, Lord, help me to overcome me. And what we're going to find is the children of Israel, unfortunately, they weren't able to do that. They were lusting after things from Egypt. And what ended up happening is they didn't believe in God. And so God just judged them. God just dealt with them and disciplined them. And for 40 years, they, they died. Uh, all those who are 20 and above, they died in the wilderness. And so uh, I just pray that, you know, we're here today and, and we realize that there is a war going on. You are in a war against yourself. Do you understand that? Don't, don't take that lightly. It's a battle uh, that we cannot overcome without the Lord. And so in one sense, we're going to learn that lesson from the children of Israel who are disciplined as we read Psalm 90. It's a, it's a psalm from Moses that he wrote while they were in the wilderness. Think about that. And then in Psalm 91 is an interesting psalm. It's a psalm about God's victory, God's protection against the devil and his demons. And uh, again, I think that sometimes we forget that we're fighting not against flesh and blood, but we are fighting against demons. And if we're not careful, that roaring lion will devour us and he will you know, reroute us. When God has this amazing plan, he wants to work in you and through you, not just in a mediocre way, but in a mighty way, in a great way. He wants to use you to impact the world for good, to, to defeat the, you know, the, the, the enemy in, in so many ways. And if everyone would just rise up and win the battle against the devil and his demons by allowing God to give you that victory, it's a completely different life. And so we're going to see that today. I think Psalm 90 is, is a lesson on God's discipline, and we need to learn from that. And then Psalm 91 is a lesson on God's protection. And so Psalm 90 is the only psalm attributed to Moses, and uh, therefore that makes it the oldest psalm. And uh, so it's not uh, just a prayer we're going to see. He mentions there in verse 1 a prayer of Moses, but it's also a song. And so I don't know if you guys knew that, but Moses did uh, write some songs. Uh, one is over in Deuteronomy 32, and one of them we will sing in Revelation chapter 15. And so Moses wrote this psalm. No doubt he wrote it while the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. Okay, so how many of you are familiar with that story in the Old Testament? Raise your hand, okay? So you know, I mean, I, I mean sometimes I wonder, because we only have a little glimpse here and there of what was going on. What was it like when they were marching around in the wilderness for 38 years and people were dying left and right? What was it like during that time? You know, well, well, when every single person died, it was another testimony of God's judgment and their lack of faith. Imagine how that must have been for 38 years. And so, um, you know, Moses writes about this, and we're going to see that what we got to know as, as, as believers is who we are and, and who God is. And so um, Psalm 90 is, a, is an amazing psalm. Let, let's read it together, and then we'll kind of come back and we'll break it up a little bit. It says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, 
or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so we're going to see he really emphasizes who God is. You got to know who God is. I think sometimes people don't know who God is. They think he's like, you know, the dodger in the sky or whatever, you know. You know, no, he, he's, he's an amazing, awesome, eternal, infinite, holy God. You're, you're God. And then he kind of goes to what's going on in our life. In verse 3, you turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep in the morning. They are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The, the day of our lives are like 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who, who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And and I love this, verse 17. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And that, and that last, last verse right there, it, it might be in reference to his concern for the nation Israel. You know, Lord, establish us, uh, plan us and let us last. And it's kind of cool because here we are, uh, what, you know, 20, 3,500 years later. Um, wait a minute, um, let's see, 2,000 years, 1,500 BC. Yeah, 3,500 years later, and, and Israel's still there. So God did establish his work, but what Moses went through, what these people went through, because they did not believe, because they lusted after the things of the flesh. And God set them as an example of what happens to people, even people who claim to be Christians, who don't understand who they are and who God is. And so it's a lesson for us. And we kind of touched on this a little bit on Sunday. It's a warning for us. And so, you know, Psalm 90 in verse 1, again, going back, it's a prayer of, of Moses the man of God. And so what a great work God did in Moses, what God did through Moses. Uh, we're not sure if he wrote that introductory statement, but either way, whether it was him or someone else summarizing his life, we know it was true about him. He was a man of God. 
And he's called the man of God in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 1, in Joshua chapter 14, verse 6, 2 Chronicles 30:16, Ezra chapter 3, verse 2. He's called the man of God over and over again, and not, not, not by Ezra, not by the writer of 2 Chronicles, not by Joshua, but he's called a man of God in the Bible, meaning he was called a man of God by the Holy Spirit. And that, that's who Moses was. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters, right? It doesn't matter what people say. What does God say? Are you a man of God? Are you a woman of God? You know, and here's this man of God praying that, that even though they're wandering in the wilderness without a home, he said, Lord, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you are our dwelling place. Notice there again in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So don't get me wrong, buildings are cool, temples are cool, but you might have a big old huge massive you know, stadium. It doesn't mean that God is there. He is our dwelling place, right? And so right here in looking at this, he prays to this great and awesome God who he says in verse 2 was there, you know, before the mountains were found, before the earth was formed. And I know you guys know that, how huh? you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and you go back to eternity. God has always been there, right? Before the earth was formed, before anything was created, God was there in the beginning from everlasting to everlasting, meaning that God is the eternal God. He has always existed. Do you understand do you begin to understand who God is? See, because when you begin to understand who God is, you don't have the courage or the audacity to disobey him, to take him lightly in any role and responsibility that he's given to you. I mean, Moses here is saying, Lord, you're, you're, you're God. You've always been our dwelling place. And Lord, you're the one who's always been before anything was ever made. And it's so important for us to understand who God is. And then, you know, to understand who we are. Because I think a lot of times we think too highly of ourselves. You know, and so he, you know, he talks about what happened in the wilderness. Interesting, in verse 3, he says, You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. And this right here could mean a couple of things. Uh, it could simply be referring to the way that we die. You know, most other translations think of it that way. Like if you have an NIV or NET or NLT, they say, you turn people back to dust, return to dust, you mortals. And so remember, we were created out of dust, and we return to dust. You know, it's interesting, during those 38 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses saw a lot of people die and turn to dust, right? And that's the consequences of the fall spoken by God, even in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, he told Adam, he said, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. Solomon also wrote about it in chapter 3 and verse 20 of the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, all go to one place, all are from the dust, and all return to the dust. 
And he said the same thing in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. And so our bodies, even though I know a lot of you are doing a great job taking care of yourself, I'm proud of you, you're eating healthy, you're exercising, man, one day it's going to turn to dust, just to let you know, okay? <laughs> you're going to be dusted, all right? But that's okay because our spirit, as Christians, is going to go to God and we're going to get a new body where we don't have to work out. Imagine that. You know, I love working out, to be honest with you. I do because I'm listening to worship music as I do it. That's what makes it great. But it's, it's pain. There is pain involved in that, huh? And so there we won't have to, you know, hurt to be in shape. I'll be taller and, you know, buffer and stronger and stuff like that. So anyways, maybe he's talking about right here that. And so when Moses writes about how God turns man to destruction there in verse 3, it might be simply thinking or speaking of death. But I have a different view. I think there's something different in mind right here. Because a Hebrew word, I, I was looking up this Hebrew word, it's only found two other times in the Bible. And the other two times, the word is translated contrite. Same Hebrew word, but it's translated contrite. In Psalms 34, verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. And then it's used in Isaiah 57, verse 15, for it says, Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of of the contrite ones. And so, you know, contrite, it speaks of remorse from guilt. When it's genuine, it reaches out to God in repentance. And so maybe, I think, and I'm inclined to believe that that's more what God is trying to do. When you look at the whole psalm here, Moses wants God to do a work even among those who are wandering in the wilderness. And he's saying, maybe you, you turn us to, you know, to repentance, to, to humble us, to bring us to a place of being contrite, you know, Christians. And, and so maybe that's what Moses is hoping for, praying for, because he sees all the people dying all around him. And don't you see the same? Don't you see it? We see it every day. I mean, it's just so, it's so heartbreaking to hear about this shooting. It was in New Zealand, you know, they go in there into a mosque and I mean, in the name of Christ, of course, it's not something Jesus would never do. Christians, a real Christian, would never do something like that. But they're dying all around us. And so um, what we see going on is, is Moses is he's experiencing this. And he's saying, Lord, you know, even though I know you gave us the sentence, and I know we deserve it, Lord, I'm just asking that you would intervene. I'm asking that you would do a new work in us. And so, you know, God, you're infinite, we're finite, you're eternal, Lord, have mercy on us. May you turn us to be contrite Christians. May we return to you. And maybe there's someone here tonight who needs to get right with God. Because you're holding back. You've got one foot in the world and you've got one foot in the church. And for whatever strange reason you think that's okay when God will not allow that, God doesn't want any portion of your heart to go to anyone or anything else. Don't cruise as a Christian. You have to fall in love with the Lord. And so maybe God is 
is calling you back. Maybe you've been wandering in the wilderness for years. And God is saying to you, I have so much more for you. But it's only going to be found if you come to that place of genuine and wholehearted repentance. You know, I don't know. I mean, when you look at this right here, it's interesting, you know, because of who we are and just understanding who God is. Look at verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. Imagine that. You know, for us, a thousand years, that's a long time. For God, it's yesterday. It's not just yesterday. It's a one watch in the night, which is like four hours ago. It's not that long, you know. God's outside of time. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter 3.8, where he says, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. I can't comprehend that. God is outside of time. You know, Moses here speaks of that. James talks about how our life is a vapor. It's just a portion of a blade of grass that it grows in the morning and it's cut down at night. That's what Moses says. And so Moses explains his prayer in verse 7. He says, "For this is why I'm asking, Lord, for, for we have been consumed by your anger and, and by your wrath. We are terrified. You know, you have, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. And again, just try to visualize, if you would, what it must have been like for 38 years in the wilderness, people dying left and right. What was life like for them? It must have been so difficult. And, and Moses there explains it in verse 7. I can't imagine the horror that they experience, that under the death sentence of Almighty God. You know, and, and again, we, we, we know God is love and God is holy. God is gracious. God is willing to forgive you of any sin that you let go of. But if you want to hold on to your sin, if you choose to hold on to your sin then this is what you'll experience, the wrath of God, the discipline of God. Because he loves his children, and if his children continue going in the wrong direction, that's a scary place to be. And so, it's just you know, consumed by God's anger, under the weight of his wrath. Verse 8 here, it speaks of the fact that their iniquities were spread out before God, even their secret sins. And you're here today, and maybe you're thinking that you can hide your sins from God. And of course we know there are no sins that we can keep secret from God. He sees everything. And that's why you have to bring everything to the Lord, you guys. Whatever you do, don't even think thoughts that are not right. You know, sometimes we get a thought in our mind, and we can't help it. But don't dwell on that thought because God sees it and it's sin. You think you can do something in the dark when no one's watching? He's right there. It's in the light of his countenance. It's almost as bright as this light right here. It's just crazy now. This is a crazy light. We're working on this anyways. <laughs> he sees everything, you know? And so he, he's saying, Lord, um, this is where we are. You're, you're, you're judging us for our sins. You're dealing with us because of this. You know, God sees everything. Hebrews 4.13, it says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, 
But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In Jeremiah 23, 24, it says, Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth, says the Lord? And so, you know, even what we do in the depths of the dark, it's right there in the light of his countenance. And so, you know, right here, Moses describes what it was like during the time they were passing away in God's wrath and they were experiencing death there in the wilderness. And it was just a constant reminder of God's judgment. And so we see this is why they finished their years with a sigh. Uh, notice it says there in verse 9, For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. And so their, their days, in those days, it's interesting. He says in verse 10, the, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. And so in those days, they lived longer. Remember Moses? Do you guys remember how long Moses lived? 120 years. And so remember, as time progressed, our kind of lifespan got shorter. And then with medical technology and things, it kind of went up a little bit. But, you know, 70 or 80 years, that was kind of young for them. But in the wilderness, they're all dying. God said, okay, 38, because remember, they spent two years at Sinai. It would be a total of 40 years in the wilderness. And so they wandered that whole time. And so, you know, he says, man, 70 years, that, that's our life. It's about as long as it goes. Maybe uh, you, you go to 80. But even if you did live 80, it was just a, a life of labor and sorrow. Because then they were cut off and they flew away. And so what we find here is at the end of verse 11 and 12, who, who knows the power of your anger I just want to. I just want to make sure you guys read that. Please read that. Do you know the power of his anger? You don't. You don't think thoughts and dwell on them and think bad about people. You don't. You know, lust and you know, look at pornography and just kind of feed your flesh. You don't do that. Do you know his anger? That's what he's saying right here. And it's not like, you know, we're trying to be mean or, or, you know, whatever. No, this is just we have to know who God is. It's so important for us to know who God is. You know, that he's a gracious God. He's so loving and merciful and forgiving. And, and we struggle and we, we know we stumble here and there. Don't get me wrong, but we don't go into sin with eyes wide open, we don't do that. We don't, because look at who he is. We don't, you know, have unbelief in our hearts, you know, because we know God's anger. Verse 11, who knows the power of your anger, for as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so Moses is there, and, you know, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, you got people who are dying and they're 80. Sometimes they're 70. Sometimes they're 60. I've recently heard about two guys who are 52 years old. That's how old I am. They just died like that. 
How many of you here think that, you know, for sure you'll be here tomorrow? We don't know. You're like, oh, Manny, I'm healthy and I'm young. It don't matter. Nobody knows. And so what do we do? As Moses is seeing this all around him, he's wanting God to do a work even among the children of Israel there in the wilderness. And so he says, so, Lord, in light of all this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what a, a, an awesome verse that is. How many of you have that highlighted in your Bible? Circled, underlined, little star right there. It's a great principle in life. It really is. To number our days. You know, when you think of numbering your days, it's something that's probably different, right? Um, I think we need to count our days and we need to make our days count. I think as Christians, what we find is that God calls us to live our days, you know, kind of like one day at a time. You don't, you don't look back and, and necessarily and, and beat yourself up and see how many hurdles you cleared or knocked down. But neither do you look too far forward, you know, to, oh, you know, you're going to take care of, you know, you're worried and concerned about tomorrow. I mean, there's nothing wrong with planning uh, about tomorrow, nothing wrong from learning from the past. But right here, right now, live in this moment for God. Because if I can live today for God, and then tomorrow I wake up and I live that day for God, and then the next day I wake up and I say, Lord, this is your day, and I live that day for him, then what ends up happening is that your, your life, it begins to reap the benefits and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna feel a difference. You're going to sense a difference next week or next month or next year because you started living every single day for God. You know, because days, that's what life is made of. It's what years are made of, right? Days, even moments. And so we need to know our days are numbered. Um, we need to make every day count. And all the moments of all the days we have to give to God. I mean, we usually number our years, right? We celebrate the years we are. I'm already 36. Um, no, I already told you I'm 52. We made it another year, and we have a birthday cake. I think we should have a birthday cake every day. Don't you think? So from now on, this is what I suggest. Cupcakes. My wife had a cupcake for breakfast the other day, and I was thinking, wow, babe, let's go work out. But anyways, <laughs> every day, you're like, okay, Lord, another day, and here we go again, right? I mean, that's how we should live. God wants us to celebrate our days, to appreciate every day, knowing that no man has tomorrow guaranteed. And the truth is, the older we get, haven't you realized that the faster time goes? It is so true, right? I read this poem. It says, When as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. And later as I older grew, time flew. Soon I shall find while traveling on, time gone. This is why we must live every day for God. We have to number our days. We have to count our days and make them count. 
You know, I know for me, I did the math, 1,000, no, I'm sorry, 19,112. That's where I'm at today, I think. I think I did it right. How about you? I, I pray that we would do this knowing that, you know, every day is a gift from God. Number our days. You know, learn the value of every single day for the Lord. Because what ends up happening is when you start doing that, it says right there that your, your heart, we, we gain this heart of, of wisdom. And so then Moses prays. Earlier he prayed for the men to return, the children to return. Now he prays for the Lord to return. In verse 13 again, return, O Lord, how long? You know, I mean, it's been, you know, who knows how, when he wrote it, 30 years, God. We've been wandering in the wilderness. And maybe he's asking God, Lord, because maybe some of you here, uh, maybe you know somebody or you yourself have done time in prison or in jail or whatever, and they give you, you know, whatever, you know, four years, and, you know, because of good behavior, you only got three years type of thing. You know, you got out early. Maybe that's what Moses is thinking. Lord, I know there's a death sentence here for us to wander in this wilderness for 40 years. But maybe he's praying, Lord, would you, would you maybe cut it short? Return, O Lord, how long? In verse 13, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. No more of this life, Lord, where we sigh and then, and then die. No, Lord, Do a work in us. Make us glad, in verse 15, according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. You know, here, Moses prays for the Lord to return after they would come to that place of repentance, you know, and, and of contrite hearts. And and make sure, you guys, make sure that you don't have this concept of Christianity that says, well, I'm good because I went to church, you know, on Sunday, and then, man, Thursday, I'm good with God, you know, and uh, I, I read my Bible, it's good. I mean, I'm telling you, as Christians, we should be in the Word every day. That's my my hope for you, and, and you should be on your knees Every day, I, my opinion, you should be weeping, crying, praying, confessing, fighting in prayer every day, singing, praising, serving. I mean, it should just be that, you know, but, but make sure it's not just religion. It, it's also a life that you live, I mean, 24-7. You're not one way at church and you're not a different way at home. You're not one of those husbands who treats your wife worse than everyone else. I mean, how can that be? You know, so, so you know, make sure our, our Christianity is real. Lord, we give it all to you. You've got my whole life, all my thoughts, all my words, every single one of them must be approved by you. Lord, you've got all my decisions. Everything I do, I do unto you. Lord, all that I am, all that I am, that's Christianity. 
That's what God calls us to. And when we come to that place, there is the contrite Christian. There is the, the man of repentance. And then when we return, it's like God returns. And then he begins to do a work that you would never even begin to imagine was possible in your life. But it is possible because God is just waiting for us to come to that place. And so he's saying, he's asking, Lord, can you come early there in verse 14? And some translations, they use the word morning, and that might be true early in the morning, but maybe it's, you know, Lord, get us out of our sentence early. Uh, give us happiness in proportion to our misery. Replace the evil years, Lord, with, with good years. And then, Lord, you know, just show your glory. I like verse 16. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And so I think Moses here is thinking about the next generation. And I think that goes into verse 17 where he's just thinking about Israel and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Lord, let this work be firm and let it be permanent. And so, you know, God didn't come early. Some people think, well, you know, God, he always, you know, he always, you know, cuts us a break and, you know, works it out. No, not always. That's why you don't mess around. You don't mess around. You don't have sex until you're married unless you want to experience the anger of God. I mean, he's gracious and he's God will forgive. And again, here we are, and I'm not trying to condemn you guys. Don't look back. Don't look back. Don't let the enemy condemn you. But whatever you do, as you look forward, you're looking forward to this place of purity. And so, Lord, this is real. Psalm 90 is a heavy lesson to learn by looking at the children of Israel and seeing how they were disciplined and what it does in my life, it just strikes the fear of God inside of me and say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to do that, Lord. I'm going to learn from this. And so I think in one sense that's discipline, but there's other lessons woven in there. And then Psalm 91 is such a classic psalm about protection. Look at Psalm 91 in verse 1. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks, this is interesting, walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday, A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. 
Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. That's interesting. Remember we talked about that earlier. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Have you guys ever stubbed your toe? Isn't it horrible? (laughs) Here he's saying, I'll take care of you so much, so much that you won't even stub your toe. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Now let me just pause there for a second. Do you think that he's speaking only of, you know, literal lions, literal snakes? No, I don't think so. Wouldn't you say he's talking about demons? He's talking about the big demons, the the middle demons, the little demons, the spiritual warfare that walks in darkness that a lot of times we are not aware of that are ready to steamroll over your life. Lord, and we are no match for the enemy. You know, you might be here thinking, well, you're pretty good because you know a few Bible verses and because you know you're, you're you know, whatever, a good man or a good woman. But without the protection of God that's found as we abide under the shadow of the Almighty, the enemy will consume us or he will have his way with us. And it doesn't always mean that you die. You know, it just means, it might mean that you get disqualified. And so there's, there's, a, there's a spiritual battle going on right here. This psalm to me is primarily about the, the battle that we have against the devil and his demons. He says, but, but, but because as we love the Lord, notice he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, to me, it's kind of fascinating that this psalm falls hard on the heels of Psalm 90. Psalm 90 speaks of so many dying. Uh, and here, this psalm really speaks of God's protection. You know, may, may believers believe in this, that God himself guards our lives as we simply rest and abide under the shadow of his wings. I, I pray the truth of this teaching would bring us to a place where we can completely trust Him. Not not test Him, but trust Him. And so it doesn't matter what you've done up to this point. It doesn't matter. Don't look back. Don't let the enemy beat you up. We learn from our mistakes. We learn from the past. But here's the question. Are you under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty? Have you made a choice to say, I will live there? Verse 1, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of 
the Almighty. Do you really live there? Do you dwell there? That, that's the question. Have you gone to God? Have you come to Christ? Not just any place. It's the secret place of the Most High. You know, and I don't know. I mean, praise God that you're here in a midweek service. That's actually a good sign. Because you guys could be home watching television or doing the laundry. That sounds like fun, huh? But you're here, so that's a good thing. But, you know, I mean, have you really come to that place? You know, where, Lord, I, this is where I, I live. It's under the, the shadow of, of the Almighty. You know, and it's important for us to understand that we need to abide there. You know, Warren Wiersbe said this, These promises are not for people who run to the Lord only in times of danger, but for those who dwell in his presence and make the holy of holies their habitation. Because a lot of times you see people and they go to church service and, you know, they, you know they're there and then they, then they leave and they're out there for a while. You know, and they live out there on the streets, and then they come back, and then, you know, they, they live there. I know people who live in the streets, and they live at home, and then they live on the streets again, and that, that's not the place of protection that he's talking about. He's talking about people who dwell there, who stay there. This is, to me, uh, uh, so important. I've learned in life that if I don't have like a, a close walk with the Lord, you know, where in all honesty, I can say every day, every day I try my best and I, and I fall, but every day, you don't take a day off, every day I try to walk as close to Him as I possibly can. I just try, like a three-legged race kind of thing. I don't know, you tie it to his leg or something like that. You know, Lord, hold me. Lord, carry me. Every day, you don't tolerate any sin and you don't just go through the motions. Never. Because when you're walking in close fellowship with God, then he's going to protect you from the devil and his demons. But if you're not walking in that close fellowship with God and abiding there in that secret place, dwelling there, then, you know, you're, you're open game, man. And, and, and I'm not talking about, you know, dogs, even though I'm, there's certain dogs I'm afraid of, like, you know, pit bulls or something, you know. I usually, my dad told me, hey, pretend like you pick up a rock and they'll run away, and I tried it, and they just came after me, and they, they, they still come. They're not afraid, so... But we're not talking about dogs. We're talking about lions. Have you ever gone toe-to-toe with a lion? And of course, we're not talking about lions. We're talking about demons. God has a plan for your life, but so does the devil. And he will sidetrack you, and he will ruin you. And, And we are so safe and secure when we just stay close to Jesus. That's all I'm saying. It's not that you're working for it. As a matter of fact, the word abide right there in verse 1, it's just resting there. That's, that's where you rest. You abide. You read John 15. It talks all about that, right? I mean, here the psalmist, he speaks of others generally, and then he claims this in verse 2. 
And I, and I wanted to do this with you guys, if it's okay. Verse 2. So he says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Okay, so can you guys do that? Can we do that tonight? You're like, well, let me think about it. No. Can you say that to the Lord? You know, Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God, and you, and will I trust you? You can say him, he. He says, I will say it. I will say it. I'm not afraid of the, of the devil. I'm not afraid of the demons. I'm not afraid of, of anyone. I'm not afraid of anything because I will say this. And he just starts saying it and he just starts teaching it. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. And you're not afraid. You know, you're not afraid. And sometimes we have people that are afraid of so many things. Their anxiety, it's, just, it's everywhere. Spiders, you don't have to be afraid of them. You don't have to be afraid of anything. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In you I will trust. What can man do to me? What can the devil do to me? What can the demons do to me? Nothing. Because I will trust in the Lord. And I will stay where I belong. You know, if we're abiding, then God will protect us in every way. He protects us from these demons and their plans to destroy us. He delivers us. He covers us. It's interesting there in verse 4. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. Now, uh, when you look at the psalm, it's interesting because it compares us to a bird. And I don't know if you feel, you know, like that's a good thing, but, you know, you're like a bird. And then, you know, later he talks about the the, the bird traps, but then you go under the wings of, of the Lord and you're safe. But he also talks in this psalm about a soldier. And you'll see that even the words uh, refuge and fortress, it's about soldiers. And, and then he says right there in verse 4 that his truth shall be your shield and buckler. Now, a buckler is a small round shield held by hand or worn on the forearm. And this is a psalmist holding to the truth, living the truth. And there is a powerful protection in our life when we choose to walk according to God's word. There is a built-in protection there. You know, we even see when Jesus was tempted, he just quoted the scriptures and he stood on it, right? Proverbs 2.7, it says, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. You know, when I look out at you guys, and I know some of you here, it doesn't even matter if I don't know all of you, I do know this, that, man, God wants to work in your life. So incredibly amazing, the things that God has in store for you. But I am telling you this, that the enemy is scheming. He's cunning. He's planning. And the way that we can be protected by him is by adhering to his word. And there is a built-in protection with, with the Bible. And when you come to that place, you're like, I'm just going to do things God's way, then, then you don't have to be afraid. He talks about that in, in verse 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by 
day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness. You know, even though we see people, you know, they're falling left and right. Verse 7, it talks about that. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, and we see it in the church. They're falling all over the place, but it won't happen to you. You're going to be different. Because a lot of times what happens is Christians, they, you know, they come to church or people come to church, they have this experience, you know, and it's kind of cool what God does. You know, he carries them for a while. He expects them to get rooted and grounded, but maybe they don't really get rooted and grounded. They just kind of get caught up in, you know, habit or religion. And next thing you know, they, they've forgotten or they never really learned how to walk by faith. And not by sight. And so a lot of times we see people, they were attending church for a while, you know, one year, two years, three years, five years, and then they're not anymore. But that won't happen to you. It won't happen to you. You're going to go the, the, the distance. Why? Because, you know, you learn to just stay there in not, not a religion, but this beautiful, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's as vibrant today as it's ever been. It's even stronger today than it was in in day one that you've grown in love with God. It should be that way. You shouldn't go backwards. You know, and you're you're there. You know, in verse 8, only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. And basically, when you look closer at certain things, man, you see, wow, that's God's judgment upon their life. But, but us who have made the Lord our refuge, uh, verse 9, the most higher dwelling place, you know, God, he, he takes care of us. Doesn't mean that everything goes according to our plan, but it does mean that everything goes according to his plan. Are you okay with that? Because let me tell you something. His plan is better than your plan. And it trumps the devil's plan. And that's what he's saying right there. Man, you stay in the perfect will of God. Verse 10, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Why? It's because in verse 14... You fell in love with the Lord. He has set his love upon us. Now, it's interesting in this passage how he talks about his angels and how they watch over us. And, you know, there's so much here, the way that God protects us. The Bible says in Psalm 34 and verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. And in Hebrews 1.14, it talks about angels are being ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. And so, you know, it's, just, it's important for us to know that even though we can't see them, there are angels, there are demons, there is this war going on, it's swirling all around you. And, and what he's saying right here is this is how you win that war, by staying close to the Lord. And that's the key, right? You know, I know the devil, he quoted this passage when he told Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. And it's so crazy. Over the years, I've seen people do foolish things. Foolish things. 
because they said, oh, you know, God will protect me. No, you don't go against the word of God. You don't go against the counsel of the ungodly. You, you trust God, but you don't test God. You don't jump off the pinnacle of the temple. And the Lord, you know, he taught us how to deal with all these things. And so God promises to protect us. And as we embrace that, then we feel this security, you know, this place that is so beautiful. Now, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so um, we read in verse 15, He shall call upon me, God says, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, verse 16, it, it might be like, hey, you know, you're going to live a long life, Manny. You know, I don't, sometimes I wonder, like, do I want to live a long life? I don't, I don't know. I think part of me would rather just check out, you know, <laughs> take my wife with me. Just a rapture would be good. <laughs> the rapture would be good. But, um, you know, I don't know. Like, in the end, and I, and I know this is probably not what it means in its context, but to me, the long life is eternal life. It's eternal life, you guys. This life is a vapor, a lot of sighs, a lot of sorrows. It's almost like this whole world is a picture of being under the sentence, the death sentence that Moses experienced wandering in the wilderness for 38 years. But it's so cool because... It's not our home, huh? And one day we'll be home. You know, there's a, there's a passage in the Bible. It says, I would have lost heart unless I, would have, unless I didn't know that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I remember, I mean, I'm, and this thing, I studied the Bible for a long time. I always thought that that meant that I have to see the goodness of the Lord on this side of time. I would have lost heart unless I kind of knew that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But, but then I was, I was taught by this guy C.H. Spurgeon as I was reading something. Let me read to you what, what he wrote. He, he said about, uh, it was writing about the story of a man who was talking to a dying believer. And he said, farewell, friend. I shall never see you again in the land of the living. And the passing Christian said, but I shall see you again in the land of the living. That's where I'm going. This is the land of the dying. <laughs> That's the land of the living. Until then, uh, last week we read that verse, Lord, beat down my enemies. Beat down my enemies. And I, I can't do it. I'm no match for the devil, but they're no match for you. So this is what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm going to learn that lesson. I don't want to be disciplined. I don't want no trancasos, man. I don't want to you know, live a life like they did, wandering in the wilderness for 38 years. Sin be gone. I mean, we'll never come to a place where we're you know, sinless, but, but hopefully we sin less. We hate it. And, and so sin be gone, Satan be gone, because I just want to stay close to my Jesus. And when that happens, 
You guys want that? I pray you do.